Welcome to the Adams Road podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter in the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Now indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared. In the first part were the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the holy place. After the second veil was the tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense, and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which was a golden pot holding the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, of which things we can't speak now in detail. Now these things having been thus prepared, the priests go in continually into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the services, but into the second the high priest alone, once in the year, not without blood, which he offers for himself and for the errors of the people, Today we're doing something slightly different with the podcast. Instead of covering the entire chapter of Hebrews 9, we're only going to look at the first seven verses today, and then next week we'll finish off the chapter. Hebrews chapter 9 goes into some depth about the tabernacle from the first covenant. So what was this tabernacle? It was basically a tent 15 meters long, 5 meters wide, and 5 meters high. Now verse 2 talks about the first part of the tabernacle, And verse 3 talks about the second part, the part behind the second veil, also known as the most holy place. The first part was 5 meters wide and high and 10 meters long, so basically two cubes put together. The part behind the second veil was half the size of the first part, 5 meters wide and high, but only 5 meters long. It was a perfect cube. The old covenant tabernacle itself and everything that took place within was a type and a shadow of what was to come through Christ in the New Covenant. It was the temporary place of worship that the Israelites built according to God's specifications while wandering the desert until King Solomon built a temple generations later. So only Levitical priests could serve in the sanctuary, or in this tent of meeting as it was called. In the outer court, the priests would sacrifice animals. In the first part of the holy place, they would attend to the bread of the presence, the lampstand that had to always burn, and the offering of incense. The table held 12 loaves of showbread, each representing God's fellowship with the 12 tribes of Israel. The lampstand was the only source of light for the sanctuary, no doubt picturing Jesus. Jesus told the people in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus compared his followers to light as well. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's from Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Back to the tabernacle, Finally, the incense was to be burned continually on the altar of incense. What does this picture? 
Remember what we learned a couple weeks ago in Hebrews 7? That Jesus always lives to make intercession for his people? The altar of incense likely pictures Christ's intercession on our behalf, which is a sweet-smelling savor to God. Also, we who are in Christ offer prayers to God and they are heard by God the Father and received as sweet-smelling because of the mediation of Christ. One thing we learn in Hebrews chapter 9 is that no one could enter the most holy place but once a year, and then only the high priest to make propitiation for Israel's sins. He did this by sprinkling the blood of the animal sacrifices onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. No doubt the animal sacrifices were a picture for Jesus being our sacrifice. And the Ark, that was where God's presence dwelt. Apparently, it was custom for the priests to tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest when he entered into the most holy place of the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement once a year. In the event God didn't accept the offering and the high priest was struck dead, they could pull him out. It was a huge deal for sinful man to approach God, who is holy, righteous, and just. Israel worshipped from afar. Without mediation, Israel could have no relationship with God. Only the high priest once a year would draw near, and even then it was no doubt terrifying for him. Now Hebrews 9 verse 2 regarding the tabernacle says this, In the first part were the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the holy place. After the second veil was the tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which was a golden pot holding the manna, Aaron's rod the budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, of which things we can't speak now in detail. So the manna within the Ark was a reminder of God's provision. Manna from heaven was how Israel was supernaturally fed during their 40-year wandering in the wilderness. Aaron's rod was a reminder of God's authority and order and of Israel's rebellion against that. The tablets of the covenant were the Ten Commandments written in stone, representative of the law. Now the mercy seat, that was the elaborate lid of the ark where the blood from the animal sacrifices were sprinkled once a year on the Day of Atonement to avert God's wrath against the people for another year. This is a picture for the greater reality that would be present in the New Covenant where the blood of Christ is applied to the heart of the believer by the Spirit of God, bringing internal cleansing and forgiveness of sins. Also, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, He ascended to heaven to appear in the presence of God for us with His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption for the believers. Moving on, Hebrews 9 verse 6 says, now these things having been thus prepared, the priests go in continually into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the services. So there were certain daily duties that continually needed attending, like tending the lampstand so that it always burned and replacing the showbread. Verse 7, But into the second the high priest alone, once in the year, not without blood, which he offers for himself and for the heirs of the people. Only once a year on the Day of Atonement could the high priest enter the Holy of Holies. Access to the most holy place was extremely limited, 
and served the strict purpose of making propitiation for the sins of the people. And under the Old Covenant, access into the second section of the tabernacle wasn't really for fellowship with God. The high priest wanted to simply perform his duty and get in and out without being killed. It was said he would throw a party for his friends when he emerged safely from the presence of God. If that's true, I wouldn't blame him for wanting to do that. It'd be like entering a high combat war zone and coming out alive. What relief. You see, our God, he is a consuming fire, and it can be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As mentioned earlier, the ancient Jewish rabbis also mentioned how a rope would supposedly be tied to the ankle of the high priest, so that if he died while in God's presence, they could pull him out. You see, this is because God is holy, and we as sinful man, we can't really endure his presence. Consider Isaiah's vision of the Lord and how it undid him from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty.
That was Immeasurable from the Adams Road album, Immeasurable.
That was You Have a Home from the Adams Road album Band of Prophets. That was Onward Christian Soldiers from the Adams Road Piano Hymns of the Faith album. If you're listening to this content today through the radio broadcast, we just want to let you know that this content is also released as a podcast on a weekly basis. You can find it by searching Adams Road Podcast. Micah Wilder, a member of our ministry, recently wrote a book called Passport to Heaven. When Mormon missionary Micah Wilder set his sights on bringing a Baptist pastor and his congregation into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he couldn't have imagined that the entire trajectory of his life was about to be changed forever. Micah's passionate effort to convert these Christians was met by a surprising challenge, to read the Bible through the eyes of a child, letting the Word speak for itself. He learned of a God whose love did not have to be earned, and he wrestled with the radical idea of God's mercy for the remaining 18 months of his mission. As he struggled to reconcile the teachings of his church with the truths revealed in the Bible, he encountered the true character of Jesus for the first time and awakened to his need for his grace. Passport to Heaven is a gripping account of Micah's journey from living as a devoted member of a religion based on human works to embracing the divine mercy and freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. As I lay there contemplating the vastness of the love that had been so extraordinarily conveyed to me, the magnitude of Christ's atonement exploded in my heart like a supernova, radiating far beyond my mortal vessel and bringing with it the desire to fall to my knees. The Holy Spirit then began painting a picture of perfect love before me in mere seconds that I had waited a lifetime to understand. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, 
after having been betrayed and falsely condemned, was dragged into the streets of Jerusalem, where he was brutally beaten, fiercely scourged, spat upon, and publicly scorned. The blameless and spotless Lamb of God cried in agony as a vicious crown of thorns was thrust onto his head, and the Roman soldiers mocked him, saying, Behold, the King of the Jews. And yet Jesus was the King of all kings and now sits triumphantly at the right hand of God. Through him, the vast universe and all its glory was created, and yet he was led to Calvary where he was crucified on a tree formed by his own hands, nailed to it by the very people he came to redeem. And there, on Golgotha's rocky hill, the very word of God made flesh, endured with incomparable humility, the most excruciating and harrowing death the world has ever seen. God's immeasurable love for all mankind was on full, heartbreaking display as Jesus bore in his stricken body the sins, iniquities, and infirmities of the world. Bleeding the precious blood of eternal atonement on the cross, the Messiah paid, in full measure, the debt that we owed God because of our transgressions. But this priceless offering wasn't just a collective sacrifice, it was personal, it was intimate, it was for me. The Savior of the world drank the cup of wrath that I deserved and freely poured out his soul to death for me. As my kingly substitute, he willingly took my place on the cross of Calvary and died on my behalf, a guilty sinner, all the while looking into my eyes and proclaiming his ineffable love for me. Jesus endured a transcendent passion that was driven by an infinite and intimate love that surpasses all knowledge and understanding. He suffered and died because he loved, and for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. My salvation was that joy. How could anyone love me so much? It was only in this metamorphic flash of grace that it was impressed on me with such an unparalleled intensity just how deep and wide and magnificent that love really was. A love that drove Christ to endure the unthinkable and while suffering unspeakable pain, see my very face. This was a profound love that encompassed the very essence and nature of God himself. This was the sacrificial agape love I had long been waiting for, the only love that could eternally satisfy. Truly, there is no greater expression of love. This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at adamsroadministry.com. Again, that's adamsroadministry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Join us next week as we examine Hebrews chapter 9, verses 8 through 28. Grace and peace be with you all.